Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Welcome back to Private Parts Unknown, a podcast that explores love and sexuality around the world. I'm Courtney Kosak. And I'm Sophia Alexandra. And privates, we are going back, 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 all the way back to the oldest profession. That's right. Me and my sexy chicken co-host, Courtney, (laughs) (laughs) are talking to our new friend, Caitlin Bailey. So Caitlin started an organization called Old Pros, and they also have a podcast. And it is dedicated to basically destigmatizing sex work and kind of doing that in the long term, whereas some organizations focus on specific legislation. Like, it really is kind of a long-term cultural shift. And it also, didn't it feel like the perfect follow-up to our OnlyFans episode? Definitely. And I think it gives a lot more context to even things that you think you know a lot about. Like, I feel like it's almost like we're still telling the story, but now we're zooming out just a little bit. Yeah. So if you haven't listened to our last episode where we talk about the changes that had been happening with OnlyFans, and we talked to our sex worker friends about it. This is kind of a natural continuation of that, where we are talking about the larger picture of sex work and what is important about protecting sex workers. Yeah, I learned a lot of new-ish during this interview, so I know you guys are going to love it. Let's do it. All right. Privates, this has been a long time coming, but we finally have the one and only Caitlin Bailey on the show. She's the host of the Oldest Profession podcast, and we're so excited to have you in the house. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. It is a pleasure, and Courtney and I say this a lot, but it's true. If an interview gets rescheduled a bunch of times, it's always so fucking good. So (laughs) we're really excited. It's a good omen. No pressure. (laughs) So we want to get into the pod and talk more about that. But first, let's start with you, girl. Let's get into your personal journey. Sure. And what was your kind of... Thoughts on sex work growing up and then your first foray into the oldest profession later on? Sure. Great question. I feel like like so many things in my life, I came to sex work from a place of ego and spite, right? Driven there. (laughs) I'm also incredibly spite motivated. Right. Yeah. Just very, very contrarian, bringing a lot of fuck you energy to the, dare I say, craft of sex work. I was raised on military bases. I grew up in Germany and North Carolina, fully immersed in abstinence-only education. And so, you know, I felt 
pretty early, like I was being aggressively lied to about my body by Mm. a lot of adults. With my mother being this, you know, sort of standout exception, right? She was a party girl in the 1970s and then became a gay rights activist, you know, with the AIDS epidemic and was like taking me to pro-choice rallies. I come from a long lineage of mouthy, difficult women. Snaps for your mom. We love her. Get it, Mrs. Bailey. Will not Get be it. tamed. Will not be tamed. But then, you know, she took me and then stuck me in a public school in Raleigh, North Carolina during the Bush administration, where all of this federal money was being funneled into having religious leaders come to our public schools and lie to us about our body. And so I became a freedom fighter really before I hit puberty in just a like, (laughs) fuck you and your dumb ideas about what I should be doing. And that metastasized into some like, pretty aggressive white girl energy. I was one of the people confusing, you know, like entitlement with righteousness. But, you know, I I brought a lot of can-do energy to the table. (laughs) Even when some people were like, please don't. Yeah, 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 exactly. Please don't. Yeah, I remember I once organized, this is a true story. In the fifth grade, I organized, because there was an experiment where they moved from milk cartons to milk bags, bags of milk. And, you know, there were complaints. And I was like, well, we should organize a petition and a cafeteria walkout. But, like, I didn't eat lunch. Like, I brought my lunch every day. Like, it didn't even affect me. Like, I, I'd never had either a carton or a bag of milk, but organized, like, fucking 20. You were like, this is still bullshit. I can recognize it when I see it. This is still bullshit. I see bullshit. I call bullshit. <laughs> and I'm willing to organize a walkout because that's just the kind of person I am. So I care about the bag of milk, whether yeah, it's absolutely. my bag of milk or Mm-mm. someone else's. Vote yeah, no. Bailey. Thank you. Milks don't come in bags. This is not, we're not trying to get close to the udder. That's not the kind of milk transport system. We have better technology. You know, cut corners elsewhere. You're like, sorry, I love a good box. That's that's who I am. <laughs> Very important to me. Yeah, so I'm that person. And so when I, I hit puberty, I've always been a voracious reader and was fascinated by the life of courtesans who seemed to be this like standout class of educated woman that enjoyed a level of freedom that I couldn't find in like other historical examples, right? If you're looking for women pirates, right? Women on Wall Street, women making moves in politics, you are looking at a teeny tiny subset of heiresses with like, I don't know, cool dads, right? So the teeny <laughs> tiny population of people, right? Or sex workers. So sex workers seem to be the, the only kind of person that also had a fuck you watch this attitude. And so I really became obsessed. And they're like self-made. Exactly. In that paradigm, you're either like inherit this Mm -hmm. or you're self-made. And the way to be self-made is to be a sex worker. Yeah. And I mean, my dad told us that we were rich, but like what he meant was like, you don't have to go into debt for college. I was like, this is not an estate. This is a white picket fence. Those are different. You're dumb. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I was like, yeah, you've come so far and it's not far enough for me to do everything that I want. So, you know, uh, so yeah, I, it's also an education and arts uh, Venn diagram overlap. That's really kind of powerful in, uh, women's sex workers in history too. And Mm -hmm. that always has drawn me. I'm like, uh, you get to fuck and you get to do art. (laughs) Sounds amazing. Or if you want to do art, one of the ways to subsidize that is to fuck, right? And so my childhood, you know, because both of my parents grew up poor and, you know, sort of fought their way 
into a comfortable place in the middle class. And so, you know, when they would ask me about my career ambitions, right? Like I wanted to be an actress. I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be a shit talker, right? There's no money in that. And so I, this anxiety of like, but how are you going to make money felt like this sort of looming thing. And so before I was 18, I mean, like just before I was 18, I had this idea in my head from the time I knew that I wanted to be an actress like slash courtesan, right? Like like whatever slash courtesan was like my career plan. And I figured out early that you just can't tell adults that because they freak out, right? So I was, you know, so, but that was, that was my plan. But I had this idea in my head that in order to be a real sex worker, just like if you wanted to be a, a real actress, you had to move to New York or LA or London or like one of these places right. and, you know, become apprenticed and like learn French or, or do some other crazy shit. And so it had not occurred to me that, you know, what I know now, which is that sex work and sex workers are everywhere. And so I was almost a legal adult when I Googled Escort Raleigh, North Carolina, and I was lucky enough to fall into a message board that clients and providers use to connect with one another. And I read the FAQ section and I reached out to sex workers who had been doing this for a while and like, had coffee and had lunch and like did all of the things that I was being taught in my like how to be a future business leader you know like what's your sex worker resume and you got to you know how how do you, you how, how do you get involved get in this <laughs> yeah get yeah get out there meet people ask ask them how they did it you ask fifteen sex workers to meet with you you know maybe maybe three say yes you know sure, maybe yeah, one exactly, of them right, exactly. ends yeah, up getting, connecting you <laughs> and, I, and I've never I've never lost that and possibly the most obnoxious part of my personality right like that I I carry that with this is the energy I bring to dinner parties you know what I mean I'm not fun but I, the, yeah the but the FAQ section gave me a, in retrospect, like pretty radical sense of absolute bodily autonomy, right? I could stop a session at any time for any reason. It was absolutely within my right. And it was in fact, my professional responsibility to demand protection for all acts at all times. I was entitled to reference checking. I was in charge. I was the professional in the room. All of this was clearly articulated on the message board and it connected me to this community of people that enforced those norms. And all of that was lost in 2018 with the passage of SESTA-FOSTA. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like the, the loss there is really incalculable. But, you know, when I was a young person looking for information, looking for strategies to keep myself safe, I happened to live in a time and at a place where that was really accessible. And so much of the fact that I had a positive experience, I think can be attributed to that, that there was this brief window. We had flip phones and Yahoo accounts, you know, it was like before the technology of the surveillance state caught up with the technology of sex workers figuring out how to connect to their clients. So I used the FAQ section. I, you know, I came up with a a stage name, a character. I used all the tools uh, that I had as Can an you actress. Tell us what it is? Yeah, what's the first? I, one? you know, this is this is actually something I don't share because it is still oh, okay. Google. Jeez, so yeah, I, no, yeah. no problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. I, well, it's just it's it, yeah. It's just one of the one of the identities that I that I protect. No, I need to I, explain. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I I went through that process. Uh, backstory. I pretended that I was older than I was because I I didn't look barely legal, uh, even though I was not yet. <laughs> legal, you know, like I explained, real pedophile. If I had marketed myself that way, I would have gotten, yeah, basically, yeah, I was like, I'm 28, I'm a grad student, uh, you know, I'm very intense and I want to talk about history and I won't drink. 
You're like, my first husband left me for yeah. a younger woman. <laughs> I mean, I had, I had like some serious, I had saddlebags and floppy titties. Like there, you know, it was any real pedophile would not have been interested in the like brassy, bushy package that I was uh, bringing to the table in the early 2000s. That is not. I adore your candor. <laughs> I mean, like, you know what I mean? It's like, no, I, I like took a good look at myself in the mirror, right? And was like, where are you marketing? It's like, well, I, 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 like MILF was too, you know, on the note. You know what I mean? I, I do feel like I, personally I did go from like little kid to MILF, right? Like one year, <laughs> one year I was 10 and then the next year I was just making my parents uncomfortable. You know, like it was just an instantaneous, immediate, less a development process. And, you know, my tits and my labia dropped at the same time. Um <laughs> So, you know, I, I marketed myself as in my, you know, in mid-20s, communications major at NC State because it was like the vaguest thing I could think of and no one wanted to talk about it, which was perfect. Amazing. What a fucking hack. Yeah. And after my, you know, round of interviews with local providers, I put out an ad that was, you know, very much modeled off of the other ads that I was seeing. And I had a lot of interest very early on, which put me in the decider position, right? I was looking for reasons not to see clients. So somebody that didn't use my screening protocol, somebody who rubbed me the wrong way, somebody who, you know, refused to work with me on times that I was available. I wasn't, you know, telling people that I had a curfew and was in high school, but there were times that I couldn't be at a place doing a thing, you know? it's mm-hmm. My life was not yet my own, so. I have finals, you dick. Right, yeah, exactly, right? And and I don't have rent to pay. So it's like really extreme negotiating position on my end. You know, like if you're going to do sex work and you want to keep yourself safe, not needing the money is a pretty great place to start. Or giving, putting yourself in the mindset of like willing to walk away from any specific opportunity, mm-hmm. which was, you know, really difficult to maintain when I came back to sex work a decade later when I was actually trying to subsidize an artistic career, you know? So I did, I did sex work sporadically and enthusiastically my last two years of high school made me, I felt very cool, you know, like I was leading a double life. And then I went to college, right? And then I ran political campaigns and then I decided to be a comedian. And then I finally ran out of money. And that's when I came back to sex work as an alternative to the service industry in the gig economy of New York. And that decision was all about maintaining my number one priority of like, if I wanted to make stage time my number one goal, then that meant that I couldn't prioritize a career or shifts at a restaurant or, you know, the thousand and one things. And so I decided to return to sex work in order to, like I said, you know, subsidize my dream. And coming back to sex work, definitely again from a place of privilege, but really like actually needing the money to to survive was a really different operation, especially in New York City. I didn't go back to, um, I tried to go back to hourly escorting work and I just couldn't compete. I put up an ad and like, it just got lost. And I had no idea what I was doing. I used like a headshot. It wasn't great, you know? So instead of going back to hourly escorting work, I took this idea of like, I'm looking for a patron to the sugaring ecosystem that had just sort of started popping up. The sugar daddy, sugar baby, Seeking arrangements. What year is this? This is 2014, 2015. Okay. Maybe it was 2013. It was like, I got to New York in 2011 
and I didn't do sex work because I said I would never do it for the money for like the first two years. And it only took like two years for like one of my fingernails to fall off. And like, I had my third (laughs) UTI without health insurance. And I was like, this is terrible. Yeah. If I can do it for pleasure, I can do it for money. Yeah. You're like, oh, it's, it's hard to be noble on my high horse when I have no fucking fingernails. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah, I keep sleeping with losers on their smelly bed for free. This is demoralizing. So, yeah, and I did really the same thing that I did as a a new escort. And uh, I went on a lot of first dates. I finally used, uh, like, the rules, right, as explained to me by one of my, like, you know, crusty aunts, right? I grew up in Kansas and married for money four times. (laughs) That's another way to sugar. I'm telling you, she, I think she explicitly identified as a sex worker, honestly. (laughs) Like it was less, like it was less a partnership marriage and more like, let me manipulate this dumb dog that lives with me and pays most of the bills. Like that was more the attitude. And he's also going to enjoy it. (laughs) Maybe, yeah. It seems like just stroke his ego, you know, better than you stroke his cock and things will be fine. So yeah, I, I really, I leveraged a lot of her framing of the way that she thought about dating as like a predatory sport where you sort of like play submissive to go in for the kill, right? Like that's how how she did dating and sugaring and the explicit exchange, right, of erotic labor for money was the best and I think most appropriate place for that kind of mindset, right? It certainly didn't serve me well um, in dating. I do not recommend hunting for a partner. I think that that's a wrong, that's, uh, you know, yeah, everyone live their life, but that they, that's that's not. Depends how much money they have. Let's. Uh, well, it, it depends on what kind of relationship you want. I'm I mean, like, you know, kidding. it's whatever. But, but if what you're doing is sex work, uh, there is more money, as my aunt clearly articulated to me when I was in middle school and fought back against this, there's more money in not fucking than there is in fucking. And the longer you make them wait, the more you increase this perceived value, right? So like I was just giving away my floppy pussy, right? To like practically homeless (laughs) comics up and down the East Coast, right? On like flea-ridden couches, right? I itched a lot of the time, but... I, you know, put myself together and I remember I I made this guy hold out. I think it was like four dates. We were sort of going back and forth and he just sort of kept making me this offer and I kept playing coy. And I eventually negotiated a, a monthly stipend that he continued to pay for two years, even though we were only actually able to see each other in person Five times total over the course of that 24-month period. So, thank you. That's a good-ass deal. You don't know what's underneath here. It's a UTI stew. It's a mystery. (laughs) It's totally, I mean, you can find pictures of my tits on the internet, but it's so mysterious. It's so, it's crazy. That is such a good deal. I'm like reeling from what a good deal that is. (laughs) Hey, just because you're grown up doesn't mean you've outgrown bedtime stories. Whether you want a story to turn you on or wind you down for better sleep, Dipsy helps you get in touch with yourself for some extra sweet dreams. Mmm, I love that ghost dick. (laughs) Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories designed to turn you on. Each Dipsy story features characters that feel like real people and immersive scenarios, so you feel like you're right there. Find stories about an off-limits hookup with your professor, meow, 
or a costume party that takes things to the next level. Or maybe a story where your partner tells you exactly what to do or you try a new toy together. Yes, 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 yes. All that sounds amazing. And they release new stories every week, so there's always more to explore. No matter who you're into or what turns you on, there is something for everyone. Yeah, and it's really nice to keep finding new favorites. Plus, Dipsy also has wellness sessions that help you learn more about yourself and bedtime stories and soundscapes to help you relax before you drift off. And for listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash private. That's a 30-day free trial when you go to D-I-P seastories.com slash private. That's dipsystories.com slash private. Okay, so I have I have a couple questions. Was there a site at that point? Because you're right. This yes. is like very beginning of sugaring. I want to know yep. kind of like rates. Sure. I mean, back in the day, like, are you talking like this is like 2004 or this 2014? I'd love to know both if possible. I don't want to get into an ego pissing. Like, I don't actually think that my pussy is worth more than anyone else's, but it's all marketing. Right. But I was charging, of course, I was charging $400 an hour, um, in Raleigh, North Carolina when I was, when I was doing that, like for the market, pretty, And that was like a million dollars back then. Yeah. 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 For for a kid with no bills, I parked wherever the fuck I wanted to. I was like, fine, tow the car. I'll fucking, yeah, it's fine. I don't give a fuck. You're like, I'm knee deep in fucking milkshakes and Claire's. Yeah, I am living my life. Hundreds of dollars at my disposal at any given time. I feel very powerful. Uh, And then later, uh, we settled on $5,000 a month, which was enough for me. Thank you. Yeah. That's to, so good. Mm-hmm. It was enough for me to, you know, find a find a place to live. I went from being sort of like housing insecure to having a place. And that first year that I had that arrangement was the the year that I wrote my first one woman show, Contagious, which was about coming out as a sex worker uh, to my father. And the oh, financial stability that. is really what gave me the other kinds of stability to start telling my story in a more public way without that existential fear of like, if one tiny thing goes wrong, I am so fucked. Dude, yeah. I, that was like yeah. the major has been until literally, but honestly, I only have a couple hundred dollars in my bank account right now. So <laughs> to this day, it persists to this day. But mm-hmm. like, that's been mm-hmm. my whole adult life. And I yeah. wish I would have made that like calculation and was close at a couple mm-hmm. points but I wish I would have done it because like I have worked jobs for $20 an hour, you know, like. Yeah, no, I've cleaned up human poop for $11 an hour. That's a thing that you had to do on the reg if you worked at a Starbucks in New York. And I was like, when are health benefits coming? And they were like, that is a marketing lie. All I keep thinking is that I have never made so much money that when you said 5K a month, that didn't like strike me as incredible. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I felt that's fucking, that's sick. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I don't think I, yeah. I think that my highest paying job job was like maybe getting to 40K. Right. Maybe. I don't know. So you, (laughs) I don't even know if it was that. Like we, yeah. Anyway. This was before I met you, Courtney. It was downhill from then on. Oh, okay. It never got higher. It's, Money is so weird. Like, nothing made me... Now, I'm going to, you know, I'm not 
I'm not an economist, right? And every time I talk about like my financial theories, like the top of my mouth starts to itch and like my body tells me that I'm like over my skis and like out of my depth. But you're a puss economist. And I'm a puss, I'm a puss <laughs> economist. And I'm telling you like the relationship between money and work has always seemed bananas to me. Part of that is like, even when I was in college, I was like fucking, I've always had a fetish for like older alcoholics. So mm. You know, I got to see a bunch of like who hasn't. I mean, right? Who doesn't love an emotionally unavailable woman? Yeah, why do we love it when they can't fuck us because they're too drunk and then also occasionally yell at us for no goddamn reason? No, it's just it's yeah. If a man can come, that's a red flag. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. Emotional (laughs) volatility and also, uh, you know, um, the inability uh, to perform sexy together, very sexy together. Love a flaccid dick on a (laughs) right whiskey dick is the best. Um, feels great. Yeah. Feels great. Maybe they'll pee in your bed one time. Who knows? <laughs> one time, you're lucky. That's, I mean, yeah. I was I was being polite. Oh yeah, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. So, like seeing a lot of people with a lot of access to material resources that you can just see up close, they're like non-functioning morons. Of like, you lack the ability to you know, you don't have the skill set to order a pizza. But, you know, you're in charge of this this company or whatever. And so, and then, uh, again, you know, coming back to labor, again, growing up in a middle-class household, you know, my parents paid for college. I always had sort of this cush thing. But, like, I'd go into jobs being like, I'm a whole person, a citizen with rights. My dad fought for my freedom. And they're like, you have to do this. And I'm like, no, you're not, no, you're not paying me enough. To do. So I, I was terrible. I was always a very bad worker because I just absolutely rejected the relationship between wage and work and labor. So I was like, I am willing to do anything for a cause towards an objective to help part of a team, right? I was awesome at campaigns, right? I worked myself to death 120 hours a week for like less than minimum wage, happy to sacrifice body, mind, and soul at the altar of a cause. But there is no amount of money that you can pay me to lie to a family of four about the quality of the cheese dip. Like there's just not, I'm not willing... (laughs) To sacrifice. The connection between money and labor and the worth of our time is such a serious mind fuck. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like, it's weird. Like I grew up in the USSR where like, you know, the value of work and being a hard worker was like a real character thing. And Mm -hmm. like you Mm -hmm. literally mold an entire fucking country or in Mm -hmm. that case, many countries that you force to become part of your country in that image and, you know, literally rewire people in their brains. And then when you move to a capitalist place, that's completely blown to smithereens. And then you spend the rest of your time understanding very vividly that money and labor and whatever do not connect in a way that makes sense, but you still have to operate in the society. Yep. Yep. You have to figure out how to learn or to play the game. But I feel like my early experiences in sex work, right, of being paid hundreds of dollars an hour to do a thing that I found genuinely pleasurable and challenging, where I felt Mm -hmm. like I was treated with respect and dignity, and then going into the service economy as somebody with, you know, barely a high school diploma or somebody working in college and the, and the way that workers are treated as disposable, the culture of the way that managers speak to employees and in, in restaurants. I mean, it's, it's grotesque, right? Like I would never let a client or anyone that I was working with treat me like that in sex work, which was supposedly 
the place where, you know, all exploitation lives, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. a, a symbol of everything that's wrong. Automatically degrading. Yeah. Automatically degrading. And I was like, no, let me tell you about degrading. Have you ever waited tables? <laughs> and, you know, and people thought I was nuts. And so... I worked at Google and I felt degraded. Yeah. I mean... Yeah. It's not proportional. It's like the second you realize you're just part of the machine and no one cares about you as a human being, then like any desire to do the kind of right, quote unquote, way to work that we've been taught goes out the window. Absolutely. I mean, I remember, you know, being a sex worker felt like one of the most honest exchanges in this economy that I've ever experienced. Everything else has been about Figuring, I mean, you know, that that's what capitalism is, right? Is extracting, just extraction, right? Extraction of value, extraction of labor. And so working for other people, I never felt like I was being compensated enough. I never felt like my identity as an individual person was respected until I started my own company. You know, but working as a sex worker was an early way for me to get a taste of working for myself, being honest and direct and and intimate with my client, my customer. That was a a relationship that I valued and deciding for myself what I was willing to do and for how much. And I never had that kind of negotiating power in any other position I held until I started Bold Pros. I fucking love that. Cokes, be honest. Have you been avoiding going to the doctor this past pandemic year? I'm not trying to get Corona, bitch. (laughs) That is the correct answer to a trick question. And can we be honest about how annoying it is to make an appointment and then go see a doctor just to get birth control or erectile dysfunction meds? Who wants to do that? Nobody. I'm staying at home in my sweatpants. Exactly. Which is why Eve Adam is the service for you. Because Eve Adam lets you meet with a doctor and get medication right from your couch. That's right, you can skip the phone calls, parking lots, waiting rooms, and pharmacy lines and just meet with a doctor on Eve Adam. Order your medication through your device and get refills delivered to your door on a schedule you set. Amazing. And in case you're worried, Eve Adam works with licensed doctors and an NABP accredited digital pharmacy. So you guys are in safe hands. And if you have any questions along the way, you can easily chat with a licensed physician through the chat feature in your account. Eve Adam offers brand names, affordable generics, and everything in between. They also offer birth control in a variety of forms, from pills to patches and rings. Eve Adam has all the resources you need to get the ideal medication for you. I love all the birth control choices. That is so nice. And you know what else is nice? Right now, Eve Adam is offering our listeners, you privates, 10% off when you go to eveadam.com slash private and enter code private at checkout. That's 10% off when you go to eveadam.com slash private and enter code private at checkout. Okay, so the evolution from this $5,000 a month Mm -hmm. primo client. Yes, who is great. Oh, really? Still love that guy. Oh, amazing. I love that. And then what happened after that? And then now you're in a relationship, right? So like, how does that function? Yeah, great. You know, one of my stand-up jokes about this is that it's, um, it's really hard to date as a sex worker because it's impossible not to do the math. You know, like on the one hand, you know, I'm having a great time and I love my husband and, you know, he treats me well. And on the other hand, like he's getting a hell of a deal. That's just, <laughs> you know, um, so we, does he know that? 
we, he loves that joke. Um, actually, he hates that joke, but uh, only because he and his his big problem with it though is like he's very proud of me and my advocacy. But he's like, Caitlin, I don't buy things on sale. I'm not looking for deals. That's not. I do my research and I buy products I believe in at a cost that I think that they are worth. And that's that's true. I would pay full price. I would pay full price. That's exactly. really sweet. He's very cute. He's very. I love I love him very. We actually met in high school. Oh, um, what? I know. We met on the high school debate team. Uh, so we went to. That yeah. So that. cute. We were not friends. We did not get along. It was not. I was just this annoying Same. teacher shock jock. Yes. Awesome. Me and my, my husband did not. We weren't friends in high school either. Um, he was a year ahead. <laughs> And I was like, he's very nerdy and really annoying and like vice versa. And then yeah. <laughs> and then when we were we met after college, I was like, oh my God, okay. <laughs> yep. Yeah, we both we met each other at peak obnoxiousness. And then we ran into each other in New York. I was chain smoking outside of a comedy show and he was walking his dog because we made radically different choices after uh, <laughs> after high school. He brought his girlfriend, uh, then girlfriend, to come and see my first one woman show, Contagious. Isn't and so, you great? know, Boss yeah, move. it was, Boss well, move. I mean, we hadn't started, you know, like we weren't, he wasn't cheating. Like, you know, it was, we just ran into each other and became Facebook friends. And, you know, I was like, will you come to my show? And he was like, I feel special. And I was like, don't, I asked 70 people, four of them came, <laughs> you know? And, uh, but, but that was. I was going to say, did you not have any like other performer friends in New York? Yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, know, you would have been tech. invited like, to 10 one woman yeah. shows a week. You right, would not yeah, think exactly. you were special. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but the, that show really puts it out there. You know, I talk about my experience in a very, you know, explicit and direct way. I talk about my relationship with my father coming in, you know, in and out of sex work. So there, there was no mystery when Several years later, he invited me to a dinner party that like took a direction and we followed a path and started dating. And now we're married and share bills and solve problems together. And so, you know, that's where we're at. But my relationship with my, I hate the phrase sugar daddy. I hate like the whole sugaring like vocabulary turns my stomach. I prefer an older model. Like my patron ended our relationship organically after he got married, actually, he was single when oh. when we first got together. And but you know, don't give him too much credit. He didn't end our relationship immediately upon getting married. But <laughs> at at their first fight, he you know was sort of contemplating the possibility of divorce, and it occurred to him and his accountant that there would be questions raised about this outspoken sex worker rights advocate that had been on payroll for a company that I played no role in for so long. So he was like, <laughs> this is a liability that me and my lawyers can't handle anymore. So here's your three months. Thanks for the work that you do. I'm going to go try to make this marriage work. And I was like, I'm gonna good go luck. try to fuck my wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wish yeah. me I'm the best. Gonna, right. <laughs> yeah. And we can, we, can, we can sweep this paper trail under the rug. And, and so, it, you know, we parted. Um, I always felt like he was transparent with me. I hope vice versa. And yeah. So that that relationship ended organically before my husband and I got together. And at that point, I had sort of, I was running an Airbnb out of my apartment. I had found other sources of income because I'm driven by anxiety. So I felt secure, you know, not, uh, I still didn't have health insurance. I still didn't have much of a nest egg. The pandemic, I think, would have really been uh, a rough blow. 
But I started, I started a podcast, The Oldest Profession, in 2017 with Wendy Starling. We love Wendy so much. Love her. She's been on the show. She's great. She's and, the and, best. And I got more and more involved in sex worker rights advocacy. You know, I, I have a political background. I've always been drawn to that kind of stuff. It's hard to face with the nihilism of comedy, but, you know, what are you going to do? So in 2018, when FOSTA-SESTA passed, I got really radicalized and specifically disillusioned with the free speech folks that I'd been hanging out with in comedy because I I accepted the premise, right, that we were all principled fighters fighting for the right to be wrong, fighting for the right to provoke, fighting for the right to reject the boundaries of polite society and create a future where more people can say what they really mean and feel. But my male colleagues just didn't see the attack on sex workers or the erasure of erotic content or the slut shaming or any of that as a real threat. And so I, I really, I pulled away from that scene um, and in so doing sort of, you know, pulled away from, from Wendy who left the show for the second season. It became a little bit more history focused and a mm-hmm. little bit more advocacy focused, but I was still like on a shoestring budget, you know, doing all of the research myself, all of my own everything. And then I got a job working as, uh, I was offered a position as the communications director for Decriminalized Sex Work, which was a a national advocacy organization. And that was actually the very first time that I ever made equivalent money as a sex worker advocate with a, you know, director position. It was the first time that I felt compensated on that level. I helped build that organization. I helped, you know, write uh, the majority of, of our copy. I'm really proud of all of the work that I was able to do there, that the whole team was able to do. I wrote, uh, you know, we have a lot of one-pagers and explainer videos that I think will be a resource for years to come on helping folks understand this issue and why it matters. And Mm -hmm. there are so many ways to do laws wrong on this topic if you don't understand some, you know, foundational principles about sex work. But after two years with the organization, I wasn't able to do all of the things that I wanted to do. And like I said, it's, you know, constitutionally difficult for me to work for other people. And so I threw sort of, tantrum is probably too strong a word, but I decided to leave my position at Decriminalized Sex Work to start my own organization that is not actively trying to change specific laws, but is engaged in the longer term work of changing culture. Our mission is to change the stories that we tell about sex work because it is only through changing the story that we're going to be able to get better laws on this issue. And so that's what I do at Old Pros. I love that. I just saw a tweet today that kind of relates what you're just saying to the Texas thing, which is that the majority of people get their ideas about what it means to have an abortion from film and TV. Yep. And there's hardly any positive right. portrayals of abortion. It's always like, the worst fucking thing. There's right. That's started to change a little bit, but that's like exactly what you're talking about, except with sex work. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, we tell better sex worker stories. We're very, we're laser focused on stories from history. You know, I think one of the big misconceptions among politicians in this country is that like prostitution or erotic labor is somehow like a symptom gone horribly wrong of the digital age, right? Like the internet invented sex trafficking. And it's like, I can't overstate 
how wrong that is. You know, it's, it's called the oldest profession. You know, like you can't. Mm-hmm. Right. And because of that, there's no way to legislate, right, or to write policy that ends sexual exploitation by targeting internet platforms. That's like, we're not going anywhere good there. Another big foundational belief that I wish I could um, have legally tattooed on legislators' uh, bodies, but, you know, I would never support such an authoritarian policy, (laughs) is that um, sex workers are service providers, not commodities. This is Mm -hmm. not something that we can legislate like marijuana. This is not something that we can legislate as though human bodies, right, are the commodities themselves. We are service providers. And because of that, efforts at containment and control, an example of this is the Nevada brothels. In Nevada, the only state in the union with legal, regulated prostitution has the highest arrest rate per capita for prostitution. And the reason for that is because all of the whorephobic laws that were written in the 1970s were about containing and controlling sex workers within the physical confines of the brothel. So if you, in order to work as a legal sex worker in the state, first and foremost, you can never have been arrested for sex work in the past, which is bananas to me, right? Because if you've ever been arrested for sex work, then you can't work legally as a sex worker, according to men. I don't know. I don't know who wrote these laws, but it's like, Dudes in the 70s. You have to register with the local sheriff. That becomes a subpoenable fact about you for the rest of your life. So you can imagine how this plays out in child custody cases, right, out of state. So you have to register and take on that burden. You have to be hired by a brothel. They're overwhelmingly owned by men that like blondes. That's, uh, you know, that's a thing. And when you agree to work at a brothel, you also agree to follow a series of Byzantine state county and local house rules governing where you go, who you can be with, your medical records are no longer protected, right? You become a second class citizen. If you're working as a legal prost- as a legal registered prostitute in a Nevada brothel, you are not allowed to leave the premises of that brothel and just like get a drink at the bar at a town nearby. You can't do that. You're not allowed. That's what? fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you're a registered prostitute outside the confines of the brothel, you're already breaking state law. Oh, my fucking God. I didn't know this. Yeah, no, legalization is not liberation, right? We are not fighting for a series of laws that create a narrow circumstance under which the exchange of sex for money is allowed, right? We want to stop arresting people who engage in this work under any circumstance. We want the full decriminalization of adult consensual sex work, whether you're on an app, on your phone, in your house, in a hotel. If you are a grown-up doing grown-up things with another adult, then you are not committing a crime until someone raises their hand and says, I was hurt. Exactly. Yeah, that's the future that we're fighting for. Fuck. That was powerfully and just succinctly put. Thank you. All right, y'all, it's back to school for your sex education because we just got new Like a Kitten boxes. I love Like a Kitten time. When that box comes, I am so thrilled to crack it open. There's always so many fun things there. What did you get this time? Oh my God, I got so much stuff. Those sound effects that you heard earlier, those were actually our orgasms. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just our clits vibrating. That's what you heard. (laughs) Okay, let me talk you through it, Sophia. 
I got Think Clean Thoughts toy cleaner because I needed some new toy cleaner. I was getting really dirty, and so I'm very happy to have that. I got some new kitten ears, which I know you'll appreciate. (laughs) She's looking at me literally wearing my cat ear headphones as we record, so yes. Perhaps my favorite thing is called Pleasure Hunter. It's a Pleasure Hunter vibe, anal beads, a rabbit, and a twin tip. So... Talk oh, about shit. a jack-off fest. Let me tell you. Oh, shit. That looks really good. I think I'm going to have to get that next time. But so if you're a renowned Sagittarius. <laughs> yes, here's the thing. I normally am completely ambivalent about astrology unless things in my life are falling apart. And then I immediately go to it because I am insane. And then you're so, like, this is totally real. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, this will work. This one will work. <laughs> Um, so yeah, anyway, because of, you know, the world falling apart, I have been anxious. So immediately I was like a Sagittarius box. Yes. So I ordered that. It comes with a really cool, like lapis lazuli little like necklace. And it's got like a, like a ginger spiced clip balm that I'm excited to use with like the little finger vibe that also comes with that is hella powerful. So yeah, all of that looks great. I also got a bath bomb. I got a book about goddesses Damn. that I'm very excited to learn about. And I got a little cute black um, satin robe with a kitten embroidery on it. I got a robe it. too. I love Ooh, it. Did you got a black one too? Or did you get another color? I got a black one, but I got the fuzzy one. Yeah, I got the like silky one and it's, it's really cute. And what else did I get? Oh, and I got some really good lube. Ooh. So if you want to go back to school for your self-love and your own sexuality, which I encourage you to do. Or you want to pamper someone in your life. Hell yeah. Well, you are in luck because right now, Like a Kitten is offering our listeners 20% off and free shipping when you go to likeakitten.com slash private or enter code private at checkout. Yeah, seriously, that's incredible. 20% off and free shipping. You guys, you have to go to likeakitten.com slash private. And let us know what you get. Oh, I also got these very hot bracelets that are actually handcuffs. Ooh. They're so sexy. They're like gold and whatever. Anyway, get this box for real. I'm into it. Okay, so we've had this OnlyFans debacle over the past two weeks. Which is a a symptom of a larger issue, right? Mm -hmm. You know, Backpage, the executives of Backpage are on trial this week. They had their first day in court yesterday with jury selection. They're facing over 90 federal charges for prostitution and uh, prostitution-related acts. They have been framed in the media as traffickers, although, like most traffickers, they are not actually being charged uh, with trafficking since there's no evidence for that. But Backpage was federally seized, I think, the day before or two days before SESTA FOSTA passed. And then came the shuttering of Craigslist Erotic Services, uh, the seizure of Rent Boy, a lot of other platforms, Tumblr fell and, you know, now OnlyFans, right? And the, the banking bills and the sort of like dark political strings behind that. And now I don't know if you heard, but eBay is threatening to remove all erotic content from its platform, which is an incredible erasure of queer history, right? They're so so, wild. Yes. Yeah. What? Yeah. So, I mean, like, so what's happening with OnlyFans is destabilizing and it is terrifying and it is also part of a larger pattern. And we have to get to the root of this issue 
which is the false conflation between exploitation, human trafficking, and violence with adult consensual sex work. Exactly. That conflation has plagued us for over 100 years. This goes back to the the obscenity laws of the 1870s. You know, this shit goes back to Comstock, the white slave law of 1910. We have been peddling this misinformation, which is that, like, white women, right, must live in fear of Black, you know, Native uh, Native American and immigrant men, right? When in reality, what we have longed for, what we've been asking for, and what we have needed is protection from domestic violence and the violence within our own relationships. The white slave law uh, of 1910, which was their, our first federal anti-prostitution law that applied to U.S. citizens, right? The first anti-prostitution law is also our first anti-immigration law from 1870. It's called the Page Act. And it criminalized, quote, Mongolian women, right, from immigrating here for immoral purposes. That same language is used in 1910. The Mann Act or the White Slave Law criminalized transporting women across state lines for immoral purposes. And just like the anti-trafficking laws of today, we did not rescue any sex slaves. We didn't even really prevent any prostitution, but we did prosecute a lot of interracial relationships, falsely conflating that with human trafficking. And we prevented more than a few chorus girls from being able to get to their next gig. That was like a big a big thing that we did for, for a long time. Those laws become even worse when the U.S. gets involved in World War I in 1917, with a series of laws called the American Plan, which framed promiscuous women as a national security threat because we could potentially infect uh, soldiers, right? We uh, threatened the fighting force, right, by venereal disease, right? So we waged a propaganda war against loose women, and we empowered police officers to arrest suspected women where they could mandate an STI test, but this is like way before STI tests were accurate. So it's really just like a misogynistic doctor, like looking at your yeah, pussy and deciding totally. whether or not you look <laughs> slutty. Like that's, that's the test, He's right? Like, Hold on, let me finger it's you for a second. second. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. For uh, the you, law, for the law, I am fingering yeah. her for the law. So we, um, yeah, we, we literally erected prisons and we, uh, we registered um, women as like known, we conflated prostitution and promiscuity. And we arrested women who were walking, eating, drinking alone, or people who made the wrong kind of eye contact with with a cop. And we continued that practice into the 1970s, right? So all of these laws that are framed as protecting women have always and will continue to be used uh, to limit our freedom of movement. You know, and I think the clearest example of this is that interracial marriage wasn't legal, right? You could not make that choice legally for your own protection until 1967. And marital rape wasn't illegal until 1997, right? We have no interest in protecting women in this country. We are only interested in controlling us. And the anti-prostitution laws and these so-called anti-trafficking laws that empower, right, the vigilantes in our communities to report suspected behavior, right? So many of these anti-trafficking pamphlets that I read in uh, in hotels across the country, traveling as a single stand-up comic, 
right, Mm -hmm. would have triggered a lot of this, right? It really is a campaign against uh, women traveling alone, queer people traveling alone, poor people traveling alone, right? This idea that you should report people for engaging in sexual activity that makes you uncomfortable has a very long, very dark, and very violent history that I don't think that we can pretend that we just don't know when we pass laws like SESTA-FOSTA or these horrific banking bills that are forcing, you know, MasterCard and Visa to try to erase erotic content from the internet. They're like, we're the only people allowed to buy, so. Right, yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, <laughs> it's just it, trying it, to yeah. totally <laughs> Visa and MasterCard are not taking an anti-exploitation position. That is not, that is not <laughs> where they sit, you know? They're still doing, they're doing business with Apple. Like, it's not, we're not trying to protect vulnerable people here, guys. Wake up. Fuck. Well, I feel like an apropos maybe end to this is, we were talking before uh, the interview, but like kind of how this recent Texas abortion ban, I mean, it's a ban, yep. a full-on it's ban. It's a ban. It's a ban. Is related to the laws that you're just talking about, the yeah. reporting of people. Yeah, absolutely. And we don't know what the enforcement of this law is going to look like, but the way that it's structured is very similar to what is called like the Nordic model or end demand laws that you see in Europe and Canada um, and increasingly in parts of the U.S., right, where it empowers not just law enforcement, but everyday citizens to report not just people that they think might be engaged in this criminalized activity, but also everyone around them cab drivers, people that are willing to rent rooms, people that are engaged in this work, people that are willing to share information and harm reduction tools with folks that do this work. And the increased prosecution of everyone around the criminalized activity is a very effective, isolating tactic. Because there are a lot of people that are willing to help their neighbor through a rough time, right? Uh, But there are not a lot of people who are willing to be prosecuted or sued or punished themselves for doing that. And so when you when you take a look at folks that are engaged in sex industry, people who are seeking abortions, people who are in, you know, a vulnerable position and they need help. And the focus of the law is about dissuading people from offering those folks services, information or material support. I don't know what you call that, but you have to stop calling it help. Yeah. Fuck, man. It's really got me down. I mean, we're going to obviously link this shit out of everything you do and all of your work. But if someone just listened to this and a lot of it was new to them mm-hmm. and they're feeling a little bit fucking overwhelmed, yeah. but they want to be helpful can you recommend a place for them to start that doesn't feel like, holy shit, I have to solve women and sex work right now? Absolutely. I would say that, you know, we send out a newsletter every week through Old Pros that is a roundup of sex worker rights related news from around the country. We often highlight folks that are doing work both locally and nationally, uh, you know, whether that's mutual aid work, helping sex workers survive, you know, the next upset uh, or, you know, global catastrophe, or whether that's, you know, fighting legislation. There's a lot of legislative actions happening all over the country, right, from 
Portland, Oregon, to Portland, Maine, to Louisiana, to Florida, to Alaska, you know, sex workers are standing up and demanding to be heard um, in states across the country, and we are there to support their work. You can support us uh, by joining our email list. You can also support us by making a tax-deductible donation to the Old Pro Project, where we work very hard uh, to find and to fund sex worker artists and storytellers who are already making a difference in their communities. I gotta say, love the show. I... Listen to a bunch of apps, but I love the Marilyn Monroe app. Oh, yay. I'm a Marilyn head, and I learned <laughs> some new stuff. Like, I've read a bunch of books about her. I know <laughs> a bunch of stuff. Great? Yeah, but I was like, ooh, I love some extra sex worker Marilyn facts. Intrigued. I'm going to have to read more on that or listen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we love to highlight coming up on season four, we're covering uh, one of the Ramones. So. Oh. oh, is it Dee Dee? It is, yeah. Because I read his autobiography and he... Oh, yeah. there you go. Yeah, yes. it's so fucking yeah. good. And he hooks like a lot. Yes. And he doesn't give a shit. Um, yeah. Everyone, and he's saying during that time, everyone that was a punk rocker did sex work. He's like, yeah. it's crazy that we're pretending that it right. wasn't just like, oh, we're all yeah. just getting together for music. He's like, yeah. no, <laughs> how did we get money for heroin? Are this we all scene. lying? Yes. It's, you know, so. it's so it's so funny you say that because I, I do believe uh, and I think that I'm empirically correct and I would love to find somebody who's willing to fund this study. Uh, but I think that sex work has subsidized more art than the entire National Endowment for the Arts combined over decades. Oh, fuck oh, yeah. 100%. I think. Yeah. Let's get no this fu- study funded. Ooh, I love Maybe that. Kinsey. Maybe Kinsey Institute oh. can, can chip in. We actually know someone over there, so. I we mean, should offline about a, this. Yes. Rebecca Fassman. I think Let's it's connect. time. Let's connect y'all up. Okay, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. Where can people, I mean, the newsletter, definitely Absolutely. people should yeah, sign you up. You can follow all of, all of the work that we're doing at Old Pros. We have so many projects coming up. We're launching a whole new podcast this fall. We have a, we're bringing back the Hookers Masquerade Ball in, in Manhattan. There's like a lot of reasons to get on the newsletter. Uh, and you can also follow me personally at Caitlin Bailey across social media platforms. K-A-Y-T-L-I-N, uh, Bailey, B-A-I-L-E-Y. Or Katalin or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> we were yeah. joking before we started how I never can pronounce anything. Uh, what an and, you know, you throw a Y in something and people are like, is this English? And I'm like, it's, yeah. Same. I, I spell Sophia no, with an I-Y-A and people are like, I don't know what to do. What, Should what? I leave? So, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I get Sophia a lot. So, <laughs> Well, thank you so much. I so appreciate your, your knowledge and everything that you're doing in this space. So thank you. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm so glad that we were able to, to have this conversation. And thank you guys so much for, for the work that you do as sex worker storytellers yourselves. Thank you. Thank you. I think we lived up to the promise. I know. It's another great interview. Oh, what's up? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, that was such a good interview. I didn't realize any of that fucked up stuff about prostitution in Nevada. Yeah, the brothel system, I did not know all those details about so at all. Impressive. That shit is crazy. Well, thank you so much, Caitlin, for expanding our minds. And making us laugh and letting us introduce our audience to your podcast. I have not laughed. She was crushing it with the jokes. 
<laughs> She's so funny. So funny. So I can't wait to have Caitlin back. And we have a bunch of fun stuff coming up for you guys, too. We have Jacqueline Moore with a great episode about her experience transitioning during the pandemic. And Belize it or not, we got Belize coming up, babies. I feel like you don't believe us, but it is true and it is going to happen. <laughs> and you're going to love it. Belize me. Belize both of us when we say that it was a life-changing trip and these episodes are, I feel like, going to be a little bit life-changing in and of themselves. So can't wait for y'all to hear them. And in the meantime, you can follow us on the social meds. Yes, I am the Sophia, S-O-F-I-Y-A, on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Courtney Kosak, last name K-O-C-A-K. Hey, you can also find me on OnlyFans at Coco Peep Show. Ooh la la. <laughs> and you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Private Parts Un and on Instagram at Private Parts Unknown. Yeah, we're on Facebook too if you're old school like that. And hey, you got to sign up for the newsletter because we are pumping out the premium newsletter content. We didn't even know we were going to get in the newsletter game. And now I feel like we're crushing it. Yeah, we're really loving it. I mean, I got to do my anal masturbation tip. I got a little birthday special coming up. There's so many really cool statistics and things that we compile that we learn. Oh, we're having our newsletter readers vote on our next destination. Yeah, if you want to choose where we travel to next, newsletter is a great way. You better sign up ASAP. And you can sign up at our website, privatepartsunknown.com. Hey, Sophia, what's that bomb-ass music? This music is by our bomb-ass friend, Amy Roche. You should find her on Spotify. Her last name spelled R-A-A-S-C-H. This episode was mixed by Mike Castaneda from Plastic Audio. We love We love you, you Michael. I- We're gonna buy you a turkey. We're gonna make you some stuffing. Oh no, what's that? We accidentally burned the turkey, but the stuffing is still good. We love you, Michael. I feel like that was like an early Thanksgiving jingle. (laughs) I didn't know. Yeah, it kind of was. I I was like, I'm grateful too, but maybe not. (laughs) Maybe more seasonally appropriate. I was so thankful. I I, I tied it into the holiday. <laughs> Ooh, look out, Mike. We got a whole bunch of holidays coming up to sing at oh, you. Oh, man. Now I'm going buck wild with these. So get ready. And now it's time for... The review of the week. Okay, we got an extra special review literally texted to us this week by our dear friend, Adrian Earhart. And let me just read this for you. Ladies, I really loved your latest PPU episode on the OnlyFans bullshit, amazingly eloquent guests, and you were well-researched and kind and funny. And I'm just like a huge fan of you both. Proud to know you, heart. Pray hands. Wow. I was like, oh, that is the sweetest text to get. Especially since Adrienne's like a bad bitch. We've had her on the podcast. You guys know about her. Um, She was one of the people we interviewed for comedians of OnlyFans, and she's been on the pod before. And she's also just so smart and eloquent and incredibly kind and just dope. So getting that review from someone as awesome as that means everything. Yeah, we were super stoked. But listen, you can't text us. 
we want to get your reviews on Apple Podcasts. So if you guys have sweet things to say to us and you want to make our day, head on over to ratethispodcast.com slash private. Again, ratethispodcast.com slash private. You can rate us on there on whatever platform you listen to. And truly, we cannot overemphasize. It makes this shit worth it. (laughs) Yeah, it really, you don't even know. It brightens up our whole fucking month. So we can't wait to hear from you and we'll check you guys next time. We love you. Bye. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.